Well, good morning. Um, I certainly make it 10.30 and obviously Steve does as well or whoever was uh, in charge of unmuting. Welcome to everybody. It's lovely to see the sun today, isn't it? Um, I must admit that over the last week or so, I've seen photographs taken by various members of my family and friends in other parts of the country and they've been out for walks in lovely sunshine and either you know, sort of frost or snow. And I've looked out the window at our grey rain and uh, cloud. So it is lovely to see the sun. Um, very warm welcome to everybody, no matter where you are. And I, I haven't been asked to give any notices, but I will just say that it is communion this morning. So if you haven't got your, your juice and your bread ready, then that uh, now's a good opportunity to go and get it. And as you can see from the screen, that if you would like prayer after the service, then would you please call or text John Straker and his number is, is there. So, oh yeah, he's just waving there. Um, I know it says Nigel at the bottom, but uh, it is John. And uh, we're going to be hearing this morning about how the people of Israel um, had moved very, very far from, from God and from the, the true worship of, of God, had turned their back on that. And um, so I, I'd just like us to start this morning in, in worship, in worship of our God, who is a great God. And um, yeah, let's not us turn our backs on him, but, but bring our worship and our praise to him in song. Thank you. Say 
Oh
trust you. later in the service to bring your own private prayers of intercession but we've just been singing about our wonderful God and I'd, I'd like to invite some of you to unmute yourselves and and give give prayers of thanks and praise I know we've sung his he's incomparable he's indescribable but um, we can still use our limited words to bring him the worship and the praise that he, he deserves. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We exhort you you're the King of God, you're the Sovereign, your Majesty. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Oh Lord, I just praise you for the blue sky this morning, for the birds that I can hear in the trees, and for the beauty of your creation. Our Heavenly Father, when we think of your awesomeness, your majesty, like Ezekiel, we fall down on our faces before you and worship you. O Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
we worship you, we lay our lives before you, and we thank you for being so omnipotent, so awesome, so amazing, so indescribable that we cannot get our puny minds around the might and power of who you are and the awesomeness mm -hmm. of your love. We yeah. bow before you in humble adoration. Mm -hmm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the, the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with honour and glory. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swims the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Amen. May I read you an excerpt from 1 Peter 4? Let the time that is past suffice for doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you do not now join them, and they abuse you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is what the gospel is preached that even though judged like men, they might live in the spirit like God. This is God's new society, the God who created the earth that feeds some seven billion people day after day. But remember, the end of all things is at hand. It is good to remember our past, lest we forget and take in ungratification for our salvation. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that you are everything that we've sung about and heard about and more. And I, I just love that phrase of James, that our puny minds can't even begin to, to comprehend how great you are. And so we do bring you our worship this morning. And we sang, Lord, that you see the depths of my heart, yet you love me the same. And I imagine that there are very few people that we would want to be able to see deep inside us, to see what we're really like, for fear that uh, they wouldn't like what they saw. And yet you know what's there. You know everything about us. And still you love us. And we thank you for that that this indescribable God loves each one of us, not because of what we are and who we are, but despite that. And we thank you. Amen. 
Um, we're going to hear another all-age talk this morning. Thank you. So today, we're going to look at another story about three guys who were also in exile in Babylon. They had a choice to make about whether to worship God or whether to worship an idol. They were called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, decided that he would make a statue of pure gold. It was a statue of himself and it was massive. It was about 27 and a half meters tall and nearly three meters wide. The statue was set up on a plinth in open countryside, looking over all of Babylon. When the statue was finished, the king ordered all his officials and advisors to attend a special ceremony to dedicate the statue. Now, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were some of the king's senior advisors, so they too had to ascend the ceremony. They loved God and followed his commandments and law. But when everyone gathered, the king's herald, and he's like an announcer, made this proclamation. Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the horns and the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship it will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. This was a problem for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because they remembered what God had said to Moses. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or on earth or in the water. You shall not bow down and worship them. They also remembered how angry God was when the Israelites made the golden calf and worshipped it while Moses was talking to God. So, what were they going to do? If they bowed down, they would be disobeying God. But if they didn't, they'd be thrown into a blazing furnace. All too soon, the music started to play. Everyone fell to the ground to worship the statue. Everyone, that is, except Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They remained standing. At the end of the ceremony, the king was furious. He sent his guards to arrest them and he brought them before him. He demanded to know why Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had not worshipped the statue. They replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. Our God is the one true God. And if you throw us into the blazing furnace, he can save us. But even if he chooses not to, you should know that we will never serve 
and worship your gods or the idol that you've made. Because our God created the very gold that you made the idol out of. At this, the king's anger raged and he ordered the furnace to be made seven times hotter than normal. And he ordered the three men to be bound before they were thrown into the furnace. As the king watched, he saw four men walking around in the flames, unbound and free. The king turned to his officials. How many men did we put into the furnace? Three, they confirmed. Why can I see four then? And one of them looks like God. Then the king shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out of the furnace and come here. As soon as they came out, everyone crowded around, amazed that they were completely unharmed. Not even a single hair on their head had been scorched. The king fell to the ground and proclaimed, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent an angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and de defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than to worship any God except their own. Therefore, no one in my kingdom is ever to say anything against their God or else, because no other God can save like this. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew that they should only worship God and they should not let anything get in the way of that. They knew that God should always come first and obedience to God is always the right thing to do, whatever the consequences they trusted that God was in control. Can I always say the same thing? Can you? Have we ever let things become idols in our lives that get in the way of our relationship with God and our service to God? Maybe a job or maybe money or status. Always craving the latest gadget or piece of tech it could even be our families. So let's choose to put God first in our lives. He is in control. And if we trust him, he can do amazing things, just like he did for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Thank you for that, Mark. Um, that was really excellent. And it certainly gives us something to think about before we, we hear from, from Martin a bit later um, about Ezekiel 8. Our very first song um, we sang, and when I think that God his son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on that cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died 
to take away my sin. And uh, so I'm going to hand over to Martin now to lead us in a time of communion. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Alison. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's come before God in, in prayer. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus to be an atoning sacrifice, to pay the penalty of our sin, which is death. Jesus, thank you that you were our substitute. You paid the penalty that our sin deserved. You were our substitute. And we just come and we say thank you again today. But we acknowledge, Lord Jesus, that it was our sin, our idolatry, our love for other created things more than God that caused Jesus to have to remain on that cross. And so, Lord Jesus, as we come to bread and wine, we come again acknowledging that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. And we acknowledge, Jesus, that we haven't loved our neighbour as ourselves. Jesus, please forgive us and have mercy on our sin. Please cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But thank you that you have reconciled us through your blood. Thank you for the new covenant where the Holy Spirit writes your law on our hearts. We pray now that as we eat bread, symbolising your broken body, and drink wine, symbolising your shed blood, we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would come and strengthen us by your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. And so we remember that Jesus took bread and uh, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. And he gave it and shared it with his disciples. So let's take and eat in remembrance and thanksgiving that Christ's body was sacrificed for us. We remember also that Jesus, after the supper, took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Um, and so we drink this with thanksgiving for the forgiveness of sin that Christ's blood brings.
let me uh, lead us in prayer around the Lord's table. Lord Jesus, we, we think in our fellowships about those who have passed on to glory recently, and we pray for their families. We think, Lord, of Margaret Port and her family. And Lord, we, we remember too this morning, Ile and Daniel and James and Samantha, as they mourn the, the passing of their husband and father, Victor. Lord, we ask you to send the comforting presence of your Holy Spirit. Minister to them, Lord, your grace and strength and comfort. And for those, Lord, who are in the process of uh, still mourning and grieving for loved ones, planning funerals, Lord, we continue to remember Roger and Angela Clover as they grieve the loss of Ivy. And pray for the practical arrangements there. Lord, we lift before you those who are having ongoing treatment at this difficult time. Lord, we remember Josh Hayes, Lord, and the difficult news that his blood test cancer markers have, have gone up again. And so he has to wait uh, for, for more blood tests in order to continue with his chemotherapy. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that those uh, blood test markers would come down again and that Josh would be able to uh, have his treatment chemotherapy sooner rather than later. Lord, just guard, watch over him, we pray, and uh, comfort the, the family, Julie and Simon and, and his sisters, Lord, we just pray your comforting presence and your healing power. And Lord, for Ian and Anne Norman, Lord, who have had the, the setback this week of, of Ian's uh, eye appointment being cancelled tomorrow because of his COVID. Father, we, we pray uh, for your healing for, for Ian for this COVID, that Lord, that would heal up quickly. Um, we pray for Anne, for your protection on her. And Lord, we pray that this operation on Ian's eye would be able to be rescheduled as quickly as possible, that Lord, you would restore his, his eyesight. Lord, we lift Janet Mills before you and her ongoing chemotherapy treatment. And Lord, all the blood tests that she needs to have um, just this week, Lord. And I pray, Lord, your blessing on those blood tests that it wouldn't be difficult for the medical staff to get that blood. But, Lord, you'll, you would give peace to Janet and skill for the nurses and doctors. And, Lord, for your blessing and favour on uh, Janet's ongoing treatment, we pray. Lord, we pray for those suffering still from COVID. Lord, there are members of, of our churches, wherever we are, Lord, that are suffering with with covid and lord we pray for your protection on on other family members who are in close contact with them we pray lord that they would soon recover we pray lord for those wondering whether to get a test uh, pray for wisdom lord lord we pray for our nhs for all those working on the front line lord in itu units and uh, nursing staff paramedics Lord, those visiting nursing homes, we pray, Lord, your strength and grace and protection on them all. And Lord, we pray your blessing on the vaccination programme. Thank you, Lord, for the speed so far at which it's being rolled out. We pray for your blessing on pharmacies, on doctors' surgeries, on mass testing centres, on hospitals, on all those places, Lord, where the vaccinations are being rolled out, that this would happen successfully 
and quickly, Lord. And Lord, we pray for the Grange, for Venice and all the staff and residents there, Lord, where there has been an outbreak of, of COVID. Lord, we pray your protection on Venice and the staff and all the other uh, residents there. And Lord, that the, the, the outbreak there would be halted and uh, that it wouldn't spread. Lord, for all, for all nursing homes in the area, we pray your protection um, in Jesus' name. Just take a moment now. There, there are people here from different contexts, different churches. Um, we're not going to have any praying out loud, as it were, but just in the quietness of your own heart and soul, please lift up uh, people known to you, your families, your churches that need a touch of Christ's grace and mercy and help at this time. Let's do that in a moment of quietness. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the eternal and almighty son of God and that nothing is impossible for you and that you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to your power that is at work within us. So, Jesus, please hear our prayers and answer according to your pleasing and perfect will. For in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Martin. The next section of Ezekiel that we're looking at today is Ezekiel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was just a little bit taken aback when it said Proverbs there. <laughs> well, uh, yes, Ezekiel chapter eight. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire, and from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven, and in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. Then he said to me, son of man, look towards the north. So I looked and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? the utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here, things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance to the court. I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. He said to me, son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here. 
So I went in and looked, and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and all the idols of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of Israel, and Jazaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, he said, you will see them doing things that are even more detestable. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw women sitting there, mourning the god Tammuz. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? You will see things that are even more detestable than this. He then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord, and there at the entrance to the temple, between the portico and the altar were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. They were bowing down to the sun in the east. He said to me, have you seen this son of man? Is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here? Must they also fill the land with violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them, putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. Father God, these are tough words. And we may be tempted sometimes to, to look at ancient prophecies from thousands of years ago and, and wonder, well, what's that got to do with us? But Lord, they do have an application for us. And I pray that uh, you will bless Martin now. You will anoint him with your spirit as he comes to open up this passage. Um, and Lord, would your spirit enable us to see what it is that you, you want or how it is that you want each one of us to respond to this passage and to what we hear from Martin. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. The book of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest who had been living in Jerusalem during the first Babylonian attack on the city. And they spared the city, but they took a first wave of Israelite prisoners and hauled them off into exile, and Ezekiel was among them. So the book begins five years after all that, and Ezekiel is sitting on the bank of an irrigation canal near his Israelite refugee camp, and it's his 30th birthday, no less, the year that he would have been installed as a priest in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, Ezekiel has this vision. He sees a storm cloud approaching, and then inside the cloud are four strange creatures that have wings outstretched and touching each other. And these creatures each had four faces. And then he saw four wheels, one by each creature. And then he saw that the wings of the creatures were supporting this dazzling platform. And then on that platform is a throne. And then sitting on that throne is this human-like creature glowing and shrouded in fire. And then all of a sudden Ezekiel realizes what he's seeing. He calls it the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. It's God riding his royal throne chariot. Now the word glory, in Hebrew it's kavod, 
It means heavy or significant. The biblical authors use this word to describe the physical appearance and manifestation of God's significance when he shows up in person. These images in the vision, they're very similar to what happened when God appeared on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And it's also very similar to the depictions of God's presence over the Ark of the Covenant. And that's actually the most shocking thing about Ezekiel's vision. What is God's glory doing in Babylon? It's supposed to be above the Ark of the Covenant in the temple in Jerusalem. And so the first section of the book opens to explore that question as Ezekiel begins to accuse Israel of rebellion. So God first speaks to Ezekiel from the throne chariot and he commissions him as a prophet. Ezekiel is to accuse Israel of breaking their covenant agreement with God in a couple ways. Israel has given their allegiance to other gods and has been worshiping idols and this has all led to rampant social injustice and violence. And so as a result, God appoints Ezekiel to warn the people. The first Babylonian attack that took Ezekiel into exile is going to be matched by another. And Jerusalem, its temple, all face imminent destruction. So Ezekiel uses words and more to get his message across. He also performs sign acts. These were a form of street theater. Ezekiel would go out in public and start behaving in these really bizarre ways that were like parables of his prophetic message. So he was supposed to build a tiny model of Jerusalem and then stage an attack on it. Or he was to shave off all of his hair and then chop it up with a sword. Or the most extreme, he was to play the role of the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. And he would lay on his side for over a year eating food cooked over poop as a sign of the nasty food that people will have to eat during the siege of Jerusalem. And perhaps the most disheartening thing of all is the bad news God gave Ezekiel that no one was going to listen to him. Israel would reject him because of their rebellious and hard heart. And this recalls Moses' description of the people after the wilderness rebellions, when he predicted that exile would one day happen. And Ezekiel had the unfortunate privilege of seeing it all come to pass. And so a dismayed Ezekiel, he begins to perform his task. And after about a year, he has another vision. This one is about the temple. He goes on this virtual tour of the temple and he sees what's happening there in his absence and it is not good. In the outer courtyard in front of the temple, he sees this large idol statue. And then he sees the elders of Israel worshiping other gods, both outside and inside the temple. And then he sees the women of Israel. They're worshiping a Babylonian god named Tammuz. And the vision ends with God's glorious throne chariot moving up and away from the temple. It's leaving, going east, headed towards Babylon. And so in chapter 11, we come to see why and how God's glory appeared to Ezekiel there in Babylon. Israel's idolatry and their covenant violations, it's become so blatant and offensive that God has left his temple. They've driven him away and he consigns it to destruction. But God hasn't abandoned his people. Rather, he goes into exile with them. And so at the end of this vision in chapter 11, God promises that he will return a remnant of Israel back to the land and he'll transform them by removing their heart of stone and giving them a new soft heart of flesh so that they can love and truly follow their God after all. This is a small glimmer of hope and it's quickly submerged under the reality of the imminent destruction. But chapter 11, it's a key transition. Thank you, um, Steve and uh, uh, John, uh, for, for showing that video. Um, 
I hope that video helps you to kind of see where we've got to and where we're going in the book of Ezekiel. Um, and it brings out very clearly that here in chapter eight, God is a holy God who is jealous for his people's worship. Um, the idol worship going on back in Jerusalem in the temple has caused God's presence to be driven away from Jerusalem. And God comes to Ezekiel and the exiles in Babylon to warn his people that it's their idolatry that has driven him away from the temple. But there's also good news at the end of this section in chapter 11. After this message of judgment, if God's people will seek him again, he will hear them and he will restore them back to Jerusalem. And God promises a new covenant in chapter 11. A new covenant where he will move his people to obey him. And of course, we see that fulfilled in Christ. But first, God must show people the magnitude of their sin before they must they must understand the bad news before they can turn back to him and be restored and receive his hope. So in chapter eight, Ezekiel is given a vision of all the idolatry going on back home in the Jerusalem temple, hundreds of miles away. And in the vision, Ezekiel is shown how the temple is being defiled by idol worship. And it becomes more detestable the closer in Ezekiel is shown to the Holy of Holies in the center of the temple, the worse it gets. And I want today to explore three aspects of idol worship that spoil our worship and provoke God's jealous anger. Then I want to explore how we can turn away from idols and worship God in truth with a new heart. So first of all, idols provoke God's jealousy. Um, verse five, so I looked and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. I, Ezekiel is shown the idol at the northern gate first. The northern gate was the gate where the Jerusalem temple would be defended. And normally that would be the gate which people would enter to, to go to worship. But right at the um, entrance of this northern gate is the goddess Asherah, a Canaanite goddess, a goddess of fertility, a pagan god. Um, the fact that it's been plonked there at the northern gate suggests that um, the sort of idolatry the people had engaged in was they were seeing this Canaanite god, goddess Asherah, as defending the, the Jerusalem from attack by the imminent uh, judgment of God through the Babylonian invasion. So it was as if they'd given up trusting that God was their protection and defense, and that now they were looking to pagan gods to defend them from Babylon, Babylonian invasion. And God is jealous. Um, he is jealous for his people's worship in a positive sense. He is the only one worthy of worship, and so he won't share worship with another god, particularly a pagan god. Um, and his anger is aroused, um, verse six, and this causes um, him to be driven away from my sanctuary. That will drive me from my sanctuary, says God. Now, these are strong and unpleasant words. Um, we struggle today to get our heads around a God who can be both loving and angry at the same time. A God who is loving, but also a holy God. And the, and the reality is that um, God is, is not just, um, God is not indifferent to his people's sin and idolatry. Um, in fact, 
the Bible consistently describes the covenant relationship between God and his people Israel and God is, and his people in the New Testament, the church, as a covenant relationship. In other words, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a marriage relationship. It's a deeply bonded, committed relationship of faithfulness on both sides. And so God describes his people's unfaithfulness in idolatry as being like committing spiritual adultery in marriage. It's to break the, the marriage vows, the marriage covenant vows. And so just as it would be odd if in a marriage where an act of adultery has been committed, there weren't strong feelings around that. So it would be really odd if God was indifferent or apathetic towards adultery in, in his own people. Where God's people break covenant, turn to idols and worship them, God is jealous. He's angry. And you'd expect that in a deeply committed covenant relationship. So if we're unfaithful to God as his people and we're devoted to other things other than him, then we, we, we are able to arouse his jealous anger. Now, we might say, well, what's this passage about idols and statues got to do with us in 21st century Britain? We don't normally worship idols in the form of statues, do we? But um, Tim Keller defines an idol in this way. He writes this. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. So idols are, as it says in Jeremiah 14, idols are in the heart. It's to worship and love any created thing, including people, more than the creator God. You see, we were made to love and worship God first and foremost. Other things, other created things like family and careers and food and good things are good things, but they were never meant to be God things. Only God is to be worshipped and served and loved. These other things are to be enjoyed in, within the context of our primary devotion being to God. Good things were never meant to be God things. And if we make good things God things, they become idols. So an idol can be family and children, career or making money, achievement, social standing. It could be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, comfortable circumstances. I think what this pandemic has done is it stripped away our comforts and choices and privileges and entitlements. And we are brought face to face with our idols, aren't we, in this time of lockdown? You know, what, what were the things we were really trusting in and looking to for meaning and purpose and joy and happiness and contentment? When they're stripped away, it really asks the question of us, doesn't it? Do we really love God before these other created things? Or actually, having them stripped away in lockdown, has that exposed the idolatry of our hearts? Were we really trusting in created things rather than our creator? And I think partly what God is doing in this in this difficult time of the pandemic is stripping away the idols of our hearts and saying to us, do you really love me and trust me and serve me before all these other created things? This is a challenge there for us. An idol is anything so central and essential to our lives that should we lose it, we'll feel as though our life has no meaning or purpose. We'll feel angry, despondent, depressed if that thing is taken away from us. 
An idol has a, such a controlling position in our heart that we spend most of our time, energy, passion chasing after it, seeking it, desiring it, whether that be money or possessions or a holiday or a family member or a relationship, whatever it is, we will find our thoughts turning to that thing and feeling depressed if we don't have it or if it's taken away. So it really is a time for us in lockdown to examine our own hearts and ask the Holy Spirit, are there created things, people and things that I'm loving and trusting in and looking to more than you, Lord? Secondly, idol worship shows effectively that we've given up trusting in God. Verse 12, son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness, each at the shrine of his own idol? They say the Lord does not see us carries on the lord has forsaken the land the 70 elders of israel are, are portrayed as standing before a wall of carved animal images each offering clouds of incense in ancient egypt the practice of offering incense to animal gods was to ward off demonic forces so presumably the elders were invoking the gods of egypt to send armies against the imminent threat of the babylonians coming against jerusalem the elders think that God cannot see them. They, they, they're locked away in, a, in the darkness in a room. And presumably they, they think either God has, has abandoned them or he can't see them. But of course, God sees everything and shows it to Ezekiel in a vision. And God had warned the elders and the people that if they worshipped idols, he would abandon them. But he also promised that if they would turn away from that idol worship, then he'd restore them. But they've given up on God as a lost cause and they've locked themselves away in a small darkened room to worship Egyptian gods in the hope that they will help them and deliver them from Babylonian invasion. The warning is there for us again. We sing and proclaim our loyalty to God in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray. We put our lives under his protection and affirm his sovereign power. And yet it's possible to live as though we're still in control rather than God. We still look to our own ability to fix things. We look everywhere else but God um, for a solution and for help. Um, how do you know this? How do we know this? Well, look at, look at what we do when we get into a problem, when we get into a struggle or a trial. Where do we turn to first? Do we turn to God in prayer first? Or do we kind of mouth off complaints or, or say, woe is me, or look, oh, why has everything fallen apart? Or do we seek advice from friends or or family members or first before seeking God. Now, it's a good thing to seek advice, of course. So that's a great thing to do. But is, our, is the default position of our heart to seek God in prayer first, or do we tend to try and fix it ourselves? That tells you whether we're really looking to God or we're looking to other things and trusting in them. Thirdly and lastly, idolatry worships created things rather than the creator. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And I saw women sitting there mourning the God Tammuz. They were weeping for Tammuz. And this was a Babylonian ritual. Tammuz was the Babylonian God of plant life. During the autumn, when the crops died and the trees shed their leaves, women would weep the death of the plant God Tammuz. But then in the spring, they would celebrate the, the sprouting of new life and the resurrection of the plant God Tammuz. And what was so offensive was that this pagan cult of mourning for dead gods was going on in the temple of the living God. And even worse than this 
was the sight of 25 men turning their backs on the temple and falling face down and worshipping the sun. Verse 16. He then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance to the temple were about 25 men. And it goes on. With their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east, they were bowing down to the sun. This is the ultimate idolatry. Instead of bowing before God, they were bowing before the sun, which in, in Babylonian pagan religion was the most powerful God. And so they were engaged in a kind of defensive prayer tactic. They were pleading with the most powerful God of Babylon, the God of the sun, to spare their city from attack. Do you see the irony here? It's the Babylonians that are coming to attack them, and yet they're seeking help from the Babylonian God of the sun. In other words, they kind of, they're trying to, um, their approach is if you can't beat them, join them. If we can't beat this invasion, we might as well join in with their God and hope that he spares us from attack. They assimilated their faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, with Babylonian pagan religion. And there's a real danger for us in the church today to assimilate our faith with the secular culture around. Our culture worships different gods than ours. Now, you might say, well, we don't worship the sun unless we're druids. We don't go to um, Salisbury Plain on, on the midsummer and worship the sun. We don't do any of that. No, but we have our own versions of pagan religion in our culture. You see, pagan religion is worshipping any created thing, including people, rather than God, our creator. And our culture worships the self, doesn't it? Look at all the celebrity um, talent shows that are around. Look at the way that um, the self, the human self, is elevated as an idol. We even had a, a few years ago, we even had a program called Pop Idol, which unashamedly um, sort of promoted people to be heroes and, and idols for even if it was for five minutes. But we have a culture that promotes the human being as the highest pinnacle of creation. We are seen as human beings to be able to make our own free autonomous decisions, to create our own purpose and meaning independently of God. Our culture sees the human being as the center of meaning and purpose. We don't need to look beyond ourselves, we're told, for meaning, for purpose, and for moral values. We can make our own way, thank you very much. We don't need God. The, the mantra of the age is you do you and I'll do me. You do you. And this is hostile to Christian faith because Christian faith says that we were created for a relationship with God and that, that there is a God-shaped hole in our soul without that relationship, that there is a restlessness in the human soul that we weren't meant to worship ourselves. We weren't meant to be autonomous human beings, independent of God and the creation. We were meant to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and to serve him by looking after his creation as stewards. We were never the centre. We were never the pinnacle of creation. God is our father, our judge, our creator. We were meant to enjoy the creation and good things in the context of a relationship with God as our father. And the temptation for us as Christians can be to assimilate our faith to the, the age of the idol of the self. The temptation can be, well, human opinion is everything. And I don't want to cause offence 
And so we're tempted as Christians not to step out of line with the culture. And we're tempted to sort of ignore teachings in the Bible which don't line up with secular values. Some of the secular values do line up with scripture, loving your neighbor, um, the, the dignity of human life. These things are agreed with by the culture because they came from the Bible in the first place. Most people agree with the Ten Commandments as a good thing. But there are many teachings in scripture which don't line up with secular values, not least on marriage and sexuality. And the temptation for us as Christians can be to worship um, the culture before we worship God, before we love and serve God. We can tend to look for an easy and comfortable ride. And because our culture worships personal opinion and sees us as free, autonomous human beings, of which there is no external morality or values to be cast upon us, we tend to, we tend to be afraid to say that the Bible has truth which is good for the whole of society because we don't want to cause offence or upset others who disagree with us. But if, if human beings are not the centre and pinnacle of creation, but God is, we shouldn't be afraid of declaring our faith boldly and confidently as Christians. We shouldn't be afraid of respectfully and lovingly disagreeing with our culture where we need to and of holding up biblical truth. Um, as Christians, because we worship and serve God who is above us. God is not below us. We are not to create God in our own image and throw out the teachings of scripture that we don't like and keep the bits that we do like. We're to serve and love and submit to God in all of his teachings. So there can be a real danger of compromise and assimilation. But there's good news. I want to end up with good news. I appreciate this is quite heavy and intense. There is good news. It is possible for us as Christians to worship with a new heart. Um, God says and promises a new covenant relationship with his people. In Ezekiel 11, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It goes on. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. There is hope for us. We have been given a new heart. The Holy Spirit turns our hearts of stone, our idolatrous hearts, to hearts of flesh. Isn't that wonderful? He turns us away from loving idols to want to love God and serve God and submit to God before all other created things. So if you're struggling with idols this morning, there's good news. God has given you the Holy Spirit to soften your heart and mind. And if we turn away from these idols, if we acknowledge that we haven't loved him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, he will pour his spirit upon us and turn our hearts so that we want to desire to love him and serve him before everything else. That's kind of good news, isn't it? I think you're agreeing with me. <laughs> Folks, we all struggle with idols and uh, lockdown has revealed those idols in our hearts, hasn't it? It's really caused us to examine our, our own lives and to say, Lord, do I really love you before everything else? Are you really number one in my life? Do I keep that first commandment of not loving any other gods before you? Or are there things that compete for my devotion and loyalty and commitment? Are there people in my life that have got in the way of God? Are there things that have got in the way of God? Let's 
Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we all struggle with idols of the heart, Lord. For us, an idol is not a statue so much as things, Lord, that we love before you. Created things, Lord, that are good, but that we've made into God things. Lord, we turn from the idols of our hearts. Lord, in this lockdown, you've, you've revealed um, the things that we love more than, than you, perhaps, Lord. The things that we trust in and look to for contentment and meaning and purpose. Lord, we just want to say we're sorry that we haven't loved you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Lord, we choose to turn away from created things. Lord, help us to enjoy them in the context of love for you first. Lord, just renew our hearts this morning. Change our hearts from hearts of stone, rebellious hearts, into hearts, soft hearts of submission and obedience and worship and reverence and love for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Martin, and thank you for that, that challenge. Um, when I read Martin's sermon, uh, a song came to, to mind. When I actually looked at it, I, I must say I, I did feel a bit hesitant about asking God to come and shake the earth again. But I believe that that's what he is, he is doing. Um, and so we're going to close by singing Restore, O Lord, the honour of your name. What? songs we've sung already as, as a prayer. Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we bow down 
May we hail you as king. May we serve you. May we give you everything. May we lift up our eyes to your throne. May we trust you. May we trust you alone. May we give you all our worship. May we give you all our praise. May we worship you alone because you alone are worthy of my praise, our praise. And so, Lord, may that be true. May we be wholehearted for you in everything we, we say and we do. Amen. Well, uh, thank you to everybody. Thank you to Steve and Shar for our worship and to Mark for the all-age talk, to Martin for leading us in communion and for the word, and to, to John for, for being our Zoom host. Um, yes, uh, if you want uh, prayer, then it's John Straker that uh, you, you need to contact if you want prayer after the service. And uh, yeah, I hope you all have a good week. And yeah, God bless you all. And uh, you may now... Unmute yourselves. <laughs>